Good morning. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you the delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley's. Tyler, how's it going? It's going good, man. You notice Aaron how I said my name the way today. Aaron does it? He goes, Cantwell. I did. I, I wasn't going to say anything because when, when someone says their name in response to that, it's really hard at this point. It's like, have I been saying it wrong forever? Or does Aaron <laughs> just pronounce your name weird, but then you say it, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm out. I don't know. I don't know anymore. I can't. I'm questioning my reality. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> um, the uh, the hard can't with the well. I don't know if he's trying to insult me like the elementary school kids did, uh, but he certainly certainly throws the, throws the hard one in there. It, it used to be actually the the typical name back then was Russ can't do anything well. Well, jokes oh, on them. I do a burn. lot of things. Yeah, you're pretty all right. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's like four things I'm good at, and then there's take a that whole back bunch to of elementary school. Uh, I will tell you, you'd be proud of this. I, I'm uh, proud already. I grilled some mean steaks the other night, which uh, go, I, I think if, if people have seen on Twitter, it's not something that I'm very proficient at. But uh, I've been watching a lot of my buddies who are good at it. So when they come over, they'll usually cook the steaks because they don't want me touching them, which is smart. <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. So it is actually so, steaks made by other people often taste better. Hey, I'm just saying. And so I was, I was like sitting there watching. Them, too. So I sit there like a, I, I, I'm like a three-year-old. I'm like, why? Why do you do this? Why do you, do, you that? do that? What why is this? What are you doing right now? And so I've done that now, I don't know, call it three to five times. And I think, I think I've figured out sort of the base skill set required. And the one thing I realized, and you're probably going to laugh at this, is it is best probably not to follow the Google instructions that say, do it four minutes on one side and four oh, minutes on the next. Wow. Traditionally what I was trying to do. That's a long time to cook a steak. That's either a really cold cooktop well, or a really well done steak. I'm, I'm also looking for medium. Um, and and you fair. Lindsay, I, I definitely cook less uh, than that. Pretty much only cooks or eats fillets, which take way longer. And they're so, thicker. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, all right. All right. What I would, but I did this time, I sort of babysat it, you know, flipped it over a few times, used my fancy thermometer thing. Oh, with check you out. Science. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, those suckers were good. So I was impressed with myself. There you go. See, and now, now you know why we all care so much about how we cook our steak because you accidentally cook it well once. I'm saying accidentally just to poke the bear, but. It happens. It's delicious, and then you can't you can't ever go back. So I, you don't. I have no um, no sense of pride with my cooking of steak, so you really can't yet my pride yet. This is phase one. Phase we'll one is we'll wait. Can I can make this. delicious steaks. Phase two is I have been doing it for a while. Phase three is I'm offended that you don't think my steak is delicious. Mm. Okay, we'll <laughs> see if we get there. I'm still worried about cooking them for people outside of my immediate family, but you know we'll, we'll see. One day. Maybe I'll have you over and you see if you can brave it. <laughs> Uh, let's see. We do have a uh, this day's yesterday in tech history, uh, and it's one that sort of, if I'm honest, it gives me a little bit of heartburn. Oh, um, I'm not a I'm not a fan of it. But it is uh, July sixth. Uh, I'm I'll have you guess the year, I suppose. Uh, is July sixth is the month and the day, uh, and it is has to do with IBM. They buy Lotus, famously of Lotus Notes, which oh, is the geez. part that gives me heartburn. Just know that if I were to guess a year here, I would get it wrong. That does help. Uh, I'm going to go with like 92 or three, something like mm, that. Close. Five. But, ah, here's the, the thing, though, that sort of blows my mind because it's it's 95, but it's kind of talking in, you know, 2015 to 2020 sort of numbers. Wow. They bought them for three point five billion dollars. Holy cow. What? Really? Yeah. For Lotus Notes, Eesh. which is awful. Yeah. Terrible. Try to say you know, Lotus Notes to a BlackBerry. It's the worst experience you'll ever have in your life. I did it all the time at Ernst & Young. It's awful. I hated it. Golly. So I didn't, uh, you know, with this it, Lotus Notes and, and that tech obviously well predates my time in formally in any sort of technology role. Um, because like the Lockheed stuff was definitely not IT for anybody that didn't catch that in the episodes. Like I did the jet <laughs> building thing, not the IT side of that business at all. So he built that, that jump ship for me was quite after a lot of this. But I even remember having a somewhat like visceral corporal reaction to finding out that Alenia Aramaki, so all of uh, uh, Finn Mechanica, 
because um, they're a subsidiary of Finmechanica, uses Lotus Notes to this day, or at least to this day in 2014 when I found out about it. And it, it like blew my mind. That because is awful. It was, well, it was really Absolutely frustrating because I'm sitting here, I'm using Outlook, probably Outlook 2012, right? And you, you have features like being able to filter things and, and read all of the words and stuff like that. And, and I keep getting like rejection notices from full mailboxes from, from the people I'm working with in the, my Italian counterparts and these like, like crap that just stopped happening in my world as an engineer. Like I didn't get that email. I'm like, dude, your, your car's tire was probably flat because I drive on these roads too, but I don't believe you didn't get my email. No, they didn't get emails. They regularly did not get emails. They regularly had emails that were sent that did not arrive at the destination. <laughs> it was a complete nightmare. And it was like this massive step back in time. And, and that's now my entire opinion of Lotus Notes. And I am, I'm beyond surprised that it was a, it, it was my, mine was all about uh, working at, um, Ernst and Young, and it was in the, it was in IT, and I was dealing with having to always sync Lotus Notes to Blackberries for the partners, and they would. There's no look. There you go. Well, it's funny. <laughs> she, he says it's funny. He says there's no Outlook 2012. <clears throat> Curious. When was the first version of Outlook introduced? Oh, out at ninety eight. Wow, you were close. Office ninety seven, <laughs> which had the version number eight By the way. So, <laughs> hey, I, yeah. I, apparently the whole industry likes to do that stuff. <laughs> uh, it's very confusing because apparently uh, Office 95 was version 7.0 and then Office 97 was version 8.0. It's all Microsoft has been confused from the very beginning. Clearly. It seems clearly. like, but uh, yeah. Outlook so, so 2012 may have been there. What was, what would have Outlook, what version of Outlook was available in 2012? Because that's probably... 2012 to 2014 is when I would have run into that. Uh, uh, that is a good question. 2010. It was 2010, and then there was eventually okay. a 2013. So that's sort of ah, the, okay. the typical range. Yeah, they started. Yep. I am. I am not going to be your uh, expert on Microsoft releases. Clearly, uh, here's a fun one for you. If Outlook 2016 is version number 16, then what is 2019 and Microsoft 365? What'd you say? What was 16 or 13? Outlook, if Outlook 2016 is version number 16. Oh, 16. Is, 16 is 16? Yeah, then what is Outlook 2019 in Microsoft 365? Would, would that just be 17 and then like a sideways 8? No, you're not making any sense. Clearly, all three of them are version <laughs> 16. Obviously. <laughs> what was I thinking? <laughs> I don't know. It just makes absolutely no sense. 16 and a half. There uh, you I mean, go. Nailed you, it. You were definitely closer. Um, they are literally all 16. I, I have no idea why. Um, but anyways, it's a fun trip down memory lane there. Uh, what, what do we have for starting off wise? We have some, I have one that really annoys me that we can start. Let's start with that one. one. So I've only read the headline, but I don't like it. Um, debit card apps. Following me? You tracking? The next so part's so very good. critical. Okay. Debit card apps for kids. Oh, stop! Are collecting stop. a shocking amount of personal data. Oh, I'm 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 surprised. This is this is my surprise Pikachu face. What is the debit card app for kids thing? <laughs> why is, <laughs> why is it a this thing? a thing? <laughs> uh, well, I if I had to guess, I know why it's a thing. And and my problem with this, I imagine, is part of your problem with this is that when I hear kids, I think of my kids and only my kids, not like all kids, right? And my kids are too damn young to have a debit card under any circumstance. Like yeah. teaching them, teaching them with cash is, is a good thing right now. I don't, the only time they spend their own money is over my shoulder on the computer through an Amazon or a Target or like literally those two places. I don't think they know anything else exists at this point in their life yeah. or in person. And then having material cash is actually pretty useful for trying to teach them change and things like that. Um, I can imagine like the 12 year old, I don't know. I'm going to show that I have no idea what I'm going to do with my kids as they age. I, mm -hmm. uh, where, where like they're a little more independent, but they also need to spend money having access to some kind of digital currency is useful, but I'm, I'm a bit, 
I want to say surprised, but that word is actually just not the right word. It's not surprising at all. This is I, just it's the United States. I'm surprised that there aren't more stringent requirements about what you can collect as it relates to children. Think about like setting up kids moon on an Amazon Alexa device. It It is like a walled garden. They're like, you're a kid. We can't do a voice profile for you. Like mm-hmm. we are going to get slapped or already got slapped more likely. <laughs> Probably. I'm kind of surprised that fintech didn't already get uh, cracked down on for what they're even allowed to try to collect as it relates to kids and, and data. But what else just, did it say? You said well, you didn't read it. Well, yeah. Well, the the sub headline says Greenlight, which I guess is the company, said it says it isn't currently selling data on kids' spending habits. <laughs> They're not selling but, it yet. Great. But its Thanks. privacy policy Allows. suggests it could start anytime. Which which uh, they absolutely will. Yeah, they, they probably will. waited for this to come up, and then they're like, "We're not selling it yet." I just, why did you? Why do you keep saying "yet" so loud? <laughs> when did you first? When did you first use? A creditor debit card. What age? Oh man. Um, I mean, I can tell you exactly when for me. I can't tell you exactly when, but if I had to get, I I would have had my own credit card, like late high school. Uh, um, but Zook I, I can't say came I came in with a hot one. He said Facebook would tell them they're not trying hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Get um, wrecked, Facebook and Greenlight. I'm, I'm pretty sure I had a debit card as early as like. Maybe early high school could have been middle school. That's possible. I have, um, but it, it was my own bank account. Like I had started saving money at my local credit union in probably fifth or sixth grade, this and I so I I got a card related to that, and uh, and so I I mean I had it. I don't think I used it very much. I much got my first people's money. It, it, what's interesting, and, and you're older than I am um, by two years, something like that, somewhere in that general range. Some number of years. Yes. So if we if we use that as sort of a barometer for like how early people get things, because I recognize people get things earlier now than they did back then, especially oh, for sure. Uh, I mean, I didn't get a debit card until I was about to graduate high school. It was just before. I, I literally walked the stage on yeah. a Friday and I was at college Saturday morning because I had basketball stuff to start that nice. summer. So I had to get stuff right before I left. And uh, and I just and my dad got me a debit card because he needed an easy way to put money into my account to keep me alive in college. Like that's that's the way that we did yeah. that. So just that's the only and the only other thing I had was I had a a gas card from my dad. So I had so I could use gas when I was in high school. But even then I that was uh-huh. emergencies. More most of the time I paid for my own gas in high school because I worked, but I paid cash. So I paid cash all the way until I basically yeah. got to college. And that was the thing like I had I had that debit card, I think related to that community or sorry, community credit union account, but I don't, I don't, I didn't really use it unless I needed to pull out cash. I bought all my gas and cash. I don't even think I had a, like an emergency card from my parents. And I remember my friends did. So that was definitely normal at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think my parents wanted me anywhere close to their plastic money. No, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. I still have my dad's credit card, but the, ah, uh, the use lucky. of it at that age is weird. But I mean, <laughs> totally normal in your 30s. Uh, it looks like uh, Kieran says you can get a key card from as young as 13 uh, in Australia, but you there can't you have a debit card or debit slash credit card until you are 18. Oh, uh, I didn't so know you, that. You can't really buy anything online until then. And then Zook says he thinks he was around 16 when he first got his. So I don't know. That all seems normal to me. Sort of the 16 plus range. Once you get a vehicle and you probably yeah. need funds for other stuff i just sub 16 to me seems a bit odd but whatever things are changing it, i don't want to be seems, an old man yells at well cloud. everybody's going to be different there too i think like in my opinion the earlier you can get your kids on something that's going to start building credit the better but that doesn't mean they have access to it <laughs> those hey, aren't the same thing <laughs> i just ordered k to credit card just now i'm i'm in so i'm in we're good. I, if i could get my kids co-signed on a credit card right now i'd probably do it but they don't need to know that exists ever <laughs> well anyways i don't like it right now but whatever so we'll move on to something else because it annoyed me let's do something fun you got any fun ones fun ones uh the nasa's ingenuity helicopter broke another record i've uh, seen they, it they went super fast which is cool um i didn't i didn't see why exactly they needed it to go really fast 
Um, <laughs> that's not relevant because it seems it we seems still make like Fast a, and the Furious movies. All right, there's no reason you don't have to. That make that makes perfect sense. Well, of course it does because it's an American tradition. That's yeah, sure. And there's I gonna be a ten, a number ten, number nine just released. There's gonna be a number ten. It's gonna be a two parter to round this thing out. Let's go! Wow, I remember the first it. one, and I think I saw either the second or the third. Um, but it is not me. one of my traditions. I'm finding out that a lot of my friends have like only seen the first one, and I'm figuring out how I'm going to remove them from my life. <laughs> this is just this is just this insults me and every fiber of America as I hear it. I just I can't I can't handle it. But then again, most people are like, "But I don't like car movies." Fast and Furious isn't a car movie, and if no, you don't know, not. then you don't know. All right. No, no, I did. I don't know why I never ended up watching. I mean, I definitely saw a few, but for instance, I know for a fact I never saw the Tokyo Drift one. And you know, I a never... lot of people didn't want to see that because it didn't have any of the main characters in it. Although it did establish yeah. one for later on, I will say, super underrated and by far okay. the worst one is the second one. Like if the second one just like uh, well, that might have been where I broke off. Then it might I might have like seen part of the second one and then that's it, dead to me. Because I do this, that to franchises. The second one is so bad. In fact, I made Lindsay watch it. The, I mean, it's still a rite of passage. I had Lindsay watch it. I had to hold her eyes open while we were watching it the That's, other night. Yeah, see, I didn't have anybody holding my eyes open. So it died to me. Um, and maybe maybe it is one, worth though. revising. Okay, okay. It's good. I don't even know. Uh, I mean, there are so many now. I don't even know what that means. But yeah, but, but I'll go know. find it. All right, uh, it's on. Maybe that, that can be TBP. Uh, did, did you that mention That can be TBP way, movie of- night. Speaking of fast, oh, that will be TBP movie night. Oh, yeah. The third one. Um, Can't start uh, at the beginning. Sure. I mean, third's (laughs) fine. Whatever. I can do it. Did you mention the speed? I did not. No. I was looking, and then I realized the link that I put in there was a video, which is why I didn't watch it, because I don't watch Uh, I've got the speed. Go, tell it. I know it. Uh, It is the... So it's interesting. So it says, the tiny flyer took to the skies for 166.4 seconds and reached a maximum speed of... I'm guessing it says five meters per second. That's what I'm guessing this is, but I don't know what meters are. This is equivalent of 10 miles per hour, which is a better metric to use. Uh, <laughs> or a brisk run, as, as it's trying to quantify it. During this flight, Ingenuity covered about 625 of these meter things. So nice. if you know what a meter is, then you, you know how to quantify 625 of them. There you uh, go. So that's that's what it did. So it's moving. It's moving at a pretty snappy for space helicopter. I I, don't think anyone can argue with me on that. Nope. I can't (laughs) run that fast on Mars. There you go. Uh, Hey, speaking of fast things, um, VMware offloaded uh, 55% take in Bugatti to Rimic or IMAC or I don't know. But but apparently um, this is a Croatian electric super guard company that has been producing some pretty Pretty awesome hypercars uh, powered. Wow, that is a huge battery pack for an EV. The 120, the, they're they're known for making a 120 kilowatt hour battery pack for uh, for a four motor um, supercar, the equivalent of almost 2,000 horsepower. What? <laughs> Zero to what? 60 in 1.5 1.85 seconds. All right, how did I not know this existed? Um, so so the. Uh, they, they just unveiled this. This is the, the Nevera is the name of the hypercar. And, and it, so it's got those stats. So they just unveiled it. It's, it's a co, I guess, Porsche owns the other 45% of Bugatti. They're working together. They just announced the Nevera. It's a hypercar powered by that 120 uh, kilowatt hour battery. It's 100, or sorry, 1.4 megawatts of power. Gosh, that's a power plant. 2,000 horsepower, zero to 60 in 1.85 seconds. And a top speed of 258 miles per hour. Uh, it's expected to be the fastest sports car previously held by Bugatti's uh, Churins. Um, Chir- wow. Churins. Um, I don't want to bury this lead here. <laughs> Chicarones. And I think I'm going to have to check the tape. But I'm, I swear you said VMware offloads instead no. of VW. Did I say VMware? It's possible. I don't know you see for VW sure. in my brain. I goes think there. you said VMware. Check the chat. Which, check the chat. Which, which made this so much more interesting. That's to me. funny. No, um, not VMware. I had so many questions in that moment. There. Somebody uh, else heard it. V Dub. V Dub. It was VW. Uh, just in case. Uh, Thanks, the, brain. You know. <laughs> I was I was so confused for a minute. I had to, I actually started digging for the article. I was like, wait a minute. I wait a minute. Or not. VMware owned Bugatti. Yeah, I would I would not be working as a core <laughs> engineer at VMware if we owned an EV supercar or Bugatti for that matter. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, it, it, it's crazy to me 
one that the electric car startup is taking over Bugatti because Bugatti is just such a big name sort of yeah. in this space. And I've never even heard of this other one. And, you know, Croatia is just sort of a small place. I don't think you expect some. Wow. They started in 09. The, you're, I'm assuming you're talking about the, the Rimic. 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 I don't, yeah. I don't know how to pronounce that. I know Bugatti. Is this their Thanks, first car? Italian. Does it say? Mm, no, I don't think so. It, well, it'll they be the spent, first you know, co-developed one, I guess. Twelve years. Um, or something. I wonder. I wonder if uh, if I were more plugged into <laughs> no pun intended. If I were more plugged into uh, the EBF one stuff, I wonder if they're big in that space because there's there's a whole electric F one circuit oh, yeah. in Europe that that obviously had big money going into it. And uh, 09, I, I remember. I remember hearing a lot of chatter about it when I was over in Italy. So that, you know, 2011, 2012, 2013 sort of timeline, mm-hmm. um, it would make sense that they probably were coming into their own about that time. Um, Worth so I, I, my guess is that they're just really good at making sporty EVs. It, it, it certainly so, seems as though they are. Um, it's a good call out, by the way, on the electric uh, F1 uh, space, especially with the the idea of a lot of money going into it. For those who don't know, which it, my guess would be the majority would be American listeners that wouldn't know, uh, F1 is a massive sport. So massive in which it is actually the second largest sport in the world. And I don't think that most people are aware of that. So it it is it is huge. So whenever you see... like There was a... Um, I was reading an article the other day, and I was reading it out loud for a buddy of mine because the numbers were just crazy. And it was about... Um, I think it was about Messi and his contract. Um, he's a professional soccer player he had a 674 million dollar contract over four years which just dwarfs anything you'll see in like the nba or the nfl like dak prescott just signed 160 and he's overpaid and (laughs) and the uh it was funny because the article read uh you whenever you think of large sports contracts um you know a lot of people especially in america think of the nba but the reality is they usually come out of uh, you know, European football, soccer for us Americans, uh, which, by the way, don't blame America. That was England that invented the word soccer and they used <laughs> it in the 1980. So everyone yells at us. It's not our fault. Uh, They're judging the us one, for just dumping tea instead of dumping the word soccer. So pretty much, you know, they they actually dumped it, by the way, because they, they didn't like the American connotation because we adopted the word they invented. That's just hilarious. To me. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, but it, it said European football and F1. Awesome. And my buddy was like, F1, isn't that like car racing? I'm like, yeah, dude, that's it's very <laughs> Trust me. What um, is the well, I don't know why it doesn't it wasn't rolling off the tongue, but the electric F1 has a very. It's got a is it just EF1? It is. It's electric Formula One. EF1. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Oh no, there is Formula, Formula E. e. Formula that's e. that's yeah, the yeah. one I couldn't Formula think of it. Like there was there was something it just said un, it felt Which unnatural every time I said it. It was accurate. It just didn't sound right. Formula E, yeah. It's been um, around for a few years now. It looks like the inaugural season was 2014-15. Oh, there you go. Wow. Okay. Now I know why I heard about it in 2011-2012. It's because it was the series was conceived in 2011 in Paris. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> uh you know what's funny? Um I I did not know this. I do follow Formula One. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily follow formula E, but Zook says that they actually switch cars in the middle of the race, maybe because the battery's running out. I don't know. Uh, in formula E or that's what they he's don't saying. do that in F1, yeah. do they? No, no, well, they, they, they've gotten away from refueling race cars in a lot of, uh, you know, traditional races as well, but I think they're just shortening the races, right? Battery depletion. Yeah. Yep. All right. hundred percent. I mean, sense. it makes sense though. Uh, wow. Gosh. Think about the dollars and cents that go into that. I mean, what, imagine I in a race, if you were to actually, they were on. like, okay, we got to recharge now. And it's like <laughs> a four hour break that they take to do it. That'd be funny. No, I, you know what? I wish they did force recharging because it would, it would probably lead to insane battery tech or uh, uh, that's very more, true more convenient ways to rapidly charge. It's kind of a pity. Most of us aren't going to be taking a trip to Tulsa, whatever's there um, in our electric vehicles and to just be able to swap one out halfway. It reminds me of a GIF I saw one time that was about if, um, if Formula One like fuel lines were used in traditional vehicles and it showed a guy walking up to a, to a, to a fuel pump, putting it in and just flying, like flying backwards into the, the wall. It was awesome. Full fire fire suit gear. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's great. Uh, let's stuff. see. 
there's one. So there was a, I want to say Bunks sent this to us. Uh, actually, Bunks was on fire last night on Twitter. He had <laughs> nice. TVP in like 50 different articles. And uh, maybe we do need to dedicate an entire show to AI, quantum computing, and, and things of this matter. But there's one. It's very interesting. It says uh, Chinese scientists say they have now uh, made the world's uh, most powerful quantum computer. Uh, I, I did read this entire article last night. It was it was very interesting. Uh, the quantum computer solved a problem in just 70 minutes. The most powerful quantum computer would have needed at least eight years. Most powerful one being the one I believe Google made, which is referenced later on. Oh, the the yeah. thing that's interesting here, two things that are interesting that I learned in this article. One, they don't ever really use the same tests. Um, so that's why well, they're, they're just so sort that's of... That's been the problem with the quantum computing and, and some of the claims for quantum supremacy in general is that yep. you can, they have, and, and I think we talked about this last time because it was a Chinese uh, outfit that um, achieved another quantum supremacy uh, sort of claim, right? And I think Google sure. did their second or third one in, in a similar time frame. But the problem is that the the equations that they're doing, like they can justifiably, you know, they can show the theory, they can show the output, and they can say we have quantum supremacy, but they're so targeted that they don't, that doesn't mean as much as we want it to mean, right? If, yep. if you have a, if you have a quantum computer that is capable of general supremacy for calculations, now we're like all the, all bets are off. We're, we're going to the moon, right? Because Everything at that point is arguably going to be done faster on that computer, even if it's just by a little bit when you get to you know, quadratics, as an example. But everything I've seen so far, and I'm guessing what you're saying was in this article too, is that they, they have made the fastest quantum computer. It is worlds faster than other ones, but it's targeting like a particular calculation set. So there are, there are two different ways of going about this. Um, one is building a purpose-built quantum computer, sort of as you're describing, I think. There's also the other that is sort of programmable, which can do multiple things. This is a programmable one. It's The fastest one technically is a nice. purpose-built one. It's, purpose as far built. as like, because it, it's, it's, it's almost like predefined calculations in a way. Yeah. The, um, the interesting thing is that this is programmable, just like the one from Google. The the struggle is, and and I found this. So I sent I th sent you and Aaron an article. I think it was over the weekend uh, about an, it was another quantum computing article specifically about how they had basically brought down uh, quantum computing down to like desktop type size. I saw that. The interesting headline, point that that article made was that one reason why all of these things are done sort of in a bubble and there's no peer review done of anything is because there is no form of like universal operating system used for right. quantum computing. And that's what the people at Cambridge are actually working on trying to do. That's what that article was right. about. Oh, nice. And so the idea of not only being able to make it programmable, it's sort of a step, right? You start with sort of the purpose-built, then you move to programmable. And now you move to something that can be kind of installed on sort of more universal hardware and use working in the same level of parameters. Now you yeah. can start figuring out which one is actually faster because not only can it be peer-reviewed, but you can run yeah, the same test to get certain things. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that's no, where no, we and, need to get, and that's, and that's awesome. where we're getting closer to. But that's well, not and, what was done in this Chinese right. part here, and, which and is think, what makes it difficult to sort of quantify. Yeah, and, and and that's why like some of these some of these claims are a little bit dubious in general. Like we have the fastest quantum computer. It's like yeah, great until until you can do something, I'll say more useful. Then there's really no point in comparing yourself to someone else. Um, if yeah. I mean I made the joke weeks months ago now about the you know the singularity will come when we have quantum computers, you know, operating the GAN. For like a chat bot, basically. So it'll be artificial <laughs> intelligence that is in an echo chamber powered by a quantum computer because <clears throat> we'll get we'll get like millions of years of AI improving AI in minutes in that quantum space because it's all just math at that point, basically. Yep. Um, and so so it'll be really interesting to see that. But I also think you're going to see some divergences here, too. So, so like the research they're doing now is still really valuable. It's just a comparison that's not very valuable. I'm bigger, I'm faster. That That's kind of nonsense. But I do think we're going to end up with uh, you know, a generic operating system when we have more 
general supremacy for quantum computing, at least for some subset of math, right? Sure. And then you're probably still going to have super specialized quantum, quantum, like a quantum ASIC, right? Something that's just your job is to calculate triangles. And then all of a sudden NVIDIA buys it and all your, all your graphics cards are, are quantum. Yeah. Um, so stuff, stuff like that, I think is going to continue to happen, but that's, that's a really good call out. Like, I think we're going to see a ton of, a ton of this, you know, like I'm bigger, I'm faster. And everyone's going to be like, are you though? Like, that's yeah. an impressive calculation, but. <laughs> the, the best way we can we really show this now, and, and I'll throw some of the numbers out there. So Google's Sycamore processor, um, which is one that was used for Google's testing, obviously, uh, has 54 qubits. And I believe we've explained qubits before on the show. Uh, and so it has 54 qubits, uh, and that was from 2019. And that qubits. was the first one to achieve quantum supremacy, supremacy um, which... Uh, I think the way you define quantum supremacy is basically it was able to complete calculations faster than a traditional yep. computing. Set. Consistently faster than a traditional computer. Yep. And, mm -hmm. and the easiest way to show that is to do calculations that we know on a traditional computer would take years and then being able to do it in minutes. There's no question, right? It wasn't like 20 yep. seconds faster. No, it was in... It trounced so, it. I think that number's in here. Hold on. It uh, was. It was... Yeah, they, Google they solved something solved in, a problem in less than 3.5 minutes, which would have taken the most powerful conventional supercomputer... 10,000 years to do. Years. So yeah, quite a that's, bit. That's awesome. So I got a fun tangent here back at pulling on those uh, those physics days. So there, there's a um, there's a whole subset of physics is called quantum uh, mechanics or, or sorry, not quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics, yes, is its own uh, discipline. But um, statistical mechanics, right? And, and sort of statistical mechanics, you, you sort of start really simplistically, right? And you're just looking at maybe something as simple as two bodies. So think like a hydrogen atom, you've got uh, like one proton and, or sorry, one neutron and an electron. And we can model that, right? Even okay. though it's complicated, it's like, cool, we got this. Yep. Add like one more electron or throw another neutron and make it like heavy and everything just falls apart. Like we're like, all right, we're just guessing now. <laughs> it's all you call it goes like straight to that. Well, um, I, I remember specifically they talk about, uh, I'm sure you probably saw some of this stuff when we were looking at uh, coronavirus like tracing and stuff like that, because some of the apps looked really, really similar to if you took a vacuum and you, you guaranteed only a certain number of particles were in it, right? So sure. yeah, and let's go with hydrogen because at, at least at the molecular level, that's pretty simple for us. And they're bouncing around and they're hitting the walls. So think like a balloon the way you calculate the surface surface pressure, right? It has to do at the molecular level with how many of them are just hitting the, the edge of the balloon. And that's what's sure. kind of holding it out, right? Yep. Well, the same thing's true inside a brick. A brick has a bunch of molecules that are bouncing around. They're just vibrating like freaking mad, right? But there are trillions upon trillions upon trillions of them. And so we have, literally, we're just not capable of modeling what they're all doing at the same time. So we can't really make any predictions about it. And we may never be able to, even with really good quantum computers, we may not be able to say like, the brick will be this hot in a room, this temperature, because there are just too many variables, could be voids inside, stuff like that. But mm -hmm. mathematically, it is actually entirely possible for that brick to hop off the table. Because it is conceivable that the trillions and trillions and trillions of molecules simultaneously align and vibrate that way at the same time. Now, how high it would go, probably not very, but, but technically a brick could float. And it's interesting, statistically, it's more likely to do so under extreme pressure and when it's really, really hot, which is just funny, but that's just because <laughs> everything's moving more. Um, but but that like I remember one of the one of the earlier examples was probably just thousands of little dots and it was like can you predict where any one of those dots will be in 20 minutes and you put the equation together to make that prediction and it it proves out real fast that the answer is no effing way in fact <laughs> that like was you scale it back guess. to three and it's already messy you add four and it's like i'm breaking as a human by, by the time we get to 10 you stop being able to solve it with traditional computers and if you get past 10 it's like it's a joke there's no supercomputer and that's where you get these these questions you know that have uh you know 10,000 years of calculations is that you basically have to know where every single starting position is and where how it's going to move and then you have to model the interaction between every single one of them taking into account all of the variables and 
each individual like ball hitting ball interaction can be, you know, a page of math. If you're doing it by hand, maybe, maybe that's only, you know, a minute of calculation on a traditional computer. But again, a brick has trillions of these little balls running into each other. This is how all that stuff falls apart. So quantum computing will give us the ability to model, like actually model, say, where will that thing be at this point in time? I mean, you, you can start to do some really, really cool stuff that right now, we make estimations about what it looks like and we create an envelope and that's how you get some of the simulations of what it looks like when tsunamis hit coasts and stuff like that because there's plenty of interaction. But we make all kinds of estimates to make those calculations simple. Quantum computing will probably be able to tell us like which buildings are going to get washed away. So it's interesting you say this. Um, the uh, would, quantum, would quantum computing, you think, be able to actually get to an exact area? So I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the show. I'm not as knowledgeable in physics as Tyler, but I do have a minor in physics. Um, and whenever we did talk about quantum mechanics, everything we dealt with was with probability. Yeah. Everything. It was never about anything exact. It was all about probability. Yeah. So would, we, would we be able to get to a point, do you think, to actually be able to quantify what, you know, what the calculation would be to have the brick hop off the table or what the probability would be that a brick would hop off the table. I think it would be more the probability of, because quantum mechanics, we don't, we don't treat quantum mechanics as a probability because we don't know. We treat quantum mechanics as a probability because that's how it works. Right. That was actually Einstein's biggest problem with it. Like Einstein hated the idea that quantum mechanics was probabilistic in its outcomes, right? Right. So exactly. And I think part of that is, and this will go down a train, one of which I have forgotten a ton of, but if you think about like an electron floating around a neutron in that really simple experiment, right? You you can't look at that holistically as the electron being a point in space. Mm-hmm. It is the cloud. And that cloud probabilistically means certain things, but it interacts differently depending on where it's in That's the cloud. That's what so. the cloud means. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Not him. somebody else's computer. <laughs> it's a statistical likelihood of something. No. Um, <laughs> But so, so I think it's both. And I don't understand enough about the quantum computers to say, but I, I believe the answer though is for certain calculations, we will be able to get really precise and we will get experimental output. So we'll be able to say the tennis ball will land here. And in a traditional mechanics, it would have taken years and years and years of calculations. But with the right accurate number of guns shooting tennis balls into a room, you can say the red one is going to land in that corner 25 inches this way, three inches that way, and it's going to be surrounded. We could probably do that with a traditional computer today, but it would take years, you know, throw throw a a big computer at it and and let it see if it works. But then all the things that go wrong with that. Anyways, I don't know. I I think, but I do think when it comes to stuff like the brick, we could just say, you could get this. I would guess we'd be able to predict really uh, somewhat cleanly the likelihood of the brick actually moving a measurable amount goes up to the point where you're likely to see it in a million tests if the room is this hot and under this much pressure. And then somebody right. will go put a brick in a room that hot under that much pressure and they'll run 20 million tests until it jumps. And they'll be like, boom, quantum did, it did it. It's and- funny, the, the, <laughs> the example that I use that I think is, I think it's pretty practical. It usually helps people to, every now and then, I don't even know how we get there. People will ask me about this stuff. And uh, the example I've always used is weather. So we use mm. just math today to predict weather patterns. And we're pretty sure. good at it. I'd say, you know, our weather guys seem to hit this stuff like, 60, 70% of the time, maybe even higher. I, in, in my mind, weather is probably a really good example of where qu- quantum computing could get that up to 98, 99% maybe. of the time, potentially. I'm curious about that because that, that gets into, and I haven't seen anything about this, so I'm just totally grasping at straws here. But the problem with weather is that weather is, is actually uh, chaos. So, so it is a different part of math, right? So chaos, chaos mathematics, the problem with chaos is and, and people are probably the most familiar with the idea of the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. You can see that in chaos theory. Right. When, when you run the calculations, it actually, there's some really cool real world experiences of seeing chaos. Uh, I, got, I got probably one of my favorite classes in college was uh, classical mechanics. 
um, which doesn't sound all that advanced, but that's the same class where you find out like, okay, when a rope is falling through a hole that's frictionless, you know, how fast is it pulling at the end of its 25 meter length kind of stuff. So it gets, yep. it gets it's way out of class. normal math real fast, but we, we ended up with a couple extra like free class periods at the end. And my professor just said, what do you guys want to talk about? And so one of them that came up was chaos, chaos theory. And <laughs> he said, talk about, he God, set up uh, a, an experiment um, using an oscilloscope and you can create chaotic circuits. But what's really cool about it is it starts out on the oscilloscope showing a certain waveform and then you can disturb it by, you know, shorting something. I, I don't even remember what we did or if he just cranked the, you know, one of the knobs and changed the frequency or amplitude of something. Yep. And then all of a sudden it went from being somewhat goofy, random noise to finding the strange attractor. And then it just stayed in that loop and it did not matter what you did. It stayed in that waveform pattern and, and that's chaos. So that one's a little more predictable. Um, and uh, chaos is one of those perfect places where like another common chaos example is a double pendulum. So if you've got uh, yeah, a, a pendulum with a platform with. and then the platform has pendulums on it, the motion of all of the pendulums becomes chaotic. Right? right. There's pure chaos that I don't even know that there are strange attractors in that one. There might be related to the frequency, but basically you start here and then in little time at all, it's so crazy. You can't predict where one of those pieces are. I would think that it would be very helpful to have quantum computing to help predict where that stuff lands. But when you add all the variables that would go into weather, it's those tiny little perturbations that create hurricanes that we're, we're, I won't say never, but we're very unlikely, even with quantum computing, to be able to, not because not because we couldn't say if this thing happened, then that thing happens, but we're only we don't know we don't know where the butterfly was, so we're yeah. guessing at the butterflies that could cause a hurricane, and and <clears> I I'm guessing we would get closer and we'll probably get more accurate, but I don't think we'll be able to say there's going to be a hurricane on September sixth that starts, you know, this many miles off the coast of whatever. And, and maybe it doesn't come down to predicting when weather will happen, but more about being a, a more exact with the weather patterns as they're I happening, which is, which is more of what we do today. And we're, oh, and sure. we're, we're pretty good at doing today, uh, yeah. but it's not, it's not exact. Well, and, and, so, and you're probably right, because if you look at hurricane tracking, which is a fascinating sub-community uh, in, in the world, right? You've probably seen the... Um, I guess the the reporting on it, but you can see the cone of possibility, right? Yeah. So the the earlier they start tracking it, they can say like the cone looks like this and it's like a quarter of the world's surface. And it's like, wow, yeah. that's super valuable, right? No. But as it gets closer <laughs> and closer to land, the number of things that could change it, those butterflies, get smaller and smaller and smaller. So by the time it hits land, we, we have a pretty damn good model that says there's like a 90% likelihood this is not going to hit Louisiana, for instance. <laughs> and, and that's a good thing to know because if it's a huge storm and it's it's almost certainly not going to hit certain cities then then you know you know evacuation planning and stuff like that i i bet right. you're right that quantum computing will be able to give us a more accurate cone or an earlier accurate cone stuff like that so I bet an earlier right. warning would be incredibly valuable for something like that obviously but let's let's move on but i know we're getting pretty close we need to probably kill this but i do i'd be remiss if i didn't mention uh, it says the pentagon kills microsoft's 10 billion dollar jedi cloud contract uh, i will point out one this whole process annoys me um i recognize that it's the way government contracts work we work with those as well but basically what happened is microsoft was awarded it uh, amazon sued and said this is dumb we should have won uh and then two years later you know delaying the use of technology for our defense which drives me insane. Yes. Uh, they have basically come to the conclusion like, okay, cool. Yeah, we don't Maybe really want to deal with this anymore. So we will kill this. But really what they're doing is they're splitting the responsibilities now. Now, Microsoft and Amazon will have to both submit proposals, but they've already said that they're going to split the responsibilities between Which providers. And they're only having Microsoft and Amazon present proposals Compete. yeah that's they well they said they said that they're definitely going to have those two they, they didn't quite say explicitly that no one else is going to be there but they, they have, have made the arguments it. over and over again that they're the only two they think or or that they, proved they in the first it. round that they're even capable right. of it um well i i found that that whole and i don't remember if we talked about this in great detail but it was very curious to me that they picked a single supplier for that contract 
anyways. Because in, in aerospace, especially, like there's a prime and then you've got sub, I don't even think they call them subprimes. They're just sub contracts, but there's like guaranteed work when, when Lockheed wins, there's guaranteed work that goes to Boeing. There's guaranteed work that you know, goes to BAE, goes to NGC, goes to, you know, uh, I mean, it, it goes down the chain. But it's not, it, we, we rarely do large government contracts yeah. that have a single supplier. Like spreading that workout is actually important from a political perspective as well as, as from a technology perspective. But um, it, it is very interesting because I don't know if you saw the language that they used when they said we're killing it, but they basically said we're killing it because it doesn't look like the technology we decided we were going to dedicate everything to from a single supplier kept up in the two years since we made the decision. I did see that. It's, <laughs> you know, it's funny. So first off, yes, the, there's a $10 billion contract that was talked about for, for this but it's also, and I can't go into detail because we can't talk about government contracts, but just know that we, we work with them as well. They work with so many Everybody. different entities. They have to. So many different aspects of the military. Like all the different branches work with, you know, a million different suppliers. This was, this was never going to cover every single thing they did, which is why I always thought like, okay, for what they're doing for this, they're going to use Microsoft for, which I did support. I didn't care if it was Microsoft or Amazon, but I supported it from this premise. And I, I use it. I say this to my customers. A lot of people will come to me with this idea of like, they need this multi-cloud strategy. And it's like, well, well tell me why. And, and they don't usually have a really good reason. And, and usually what I try and... Global DNS outages. Is that, that's the reasons for global <laughs> DNS outages. The, reason, the thing that I struggle with is if you, if you want to get the most out of a cloud platform. You need to be very proficient with it. How do you get proficient at something? You focus on it. Okay. And that's the thing that I thought the government was trying to do, was be proficient at something. But that was a silly assumption that I had made okay. in that particular scenario. So I, I mean, I don't, it doesn't bother me that they're splitting this up now either. But what I am bothered by is the fact that we chose to have to spend two years arguing in court when they could have spent two years building. And oh, I yeah. already... Oh, how far that is the worst in a lot of areas that deal with technology. Yeah. And we decided to make this a, a problem over a trillion dollar company fighting another trillion dollar company over $10 billion. And, and it just drove me insane thinking of it that way. Whatever. I'm glad it's moving forward, but I will tell you. Yeah, that. me too. I'm, I'm frustrated that that's behind too, but I, I will add this just because you brought up something that's near and dear to my heart. Um, when, when you talk about clouds and multiple clouds, I look at that the same way I look at any major technology program. And while you're right, getting better at something means focus is good. You have to be really careful with long-term programs, putting all your chips in a single basket too. Sure. So you look at, look at even stuff like aircraft platforms. We, we don't well, do, I obviously do often. We, we don't do, we don't do jet pro programs that have single engine suppliers in most cases. And the ones that have are, are incredibly risky because if something goes wrong with the GE version of a jet engine, the entire program is screwed. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's, that's what it comes down to. It's like, yes, ideally you could just have one and you perfect it, but it is so much statistically better to have two that you can fail back to at least, at least partially, even if it's just half the services in that case, it's not like you can just take a GE engine and a, was it Briggs and Stratton? I don't think, no, it wasn't uh, Rolls Royce and swap it in an F-35. That's not how that works but half your fleet isn't dead just because there's a, a major stop on a GE engine. And sure. so that's, that's why you spread that stuff out. Now, as long as they're, the idea is they're spreading out individual services across both and they think that that's going to protect them from these outages or whatever, and they don't use regions because that would be impossible. The, uh, well, you, sometimes you have to do both. The, I, the, I, that was a bit tongue-in-cheek, but, but what was it, Azure, a year ago, a year and a half ago? They, their global DNS Probably went down. Time. It took Azure off all of it, all the regions. It was ugly as hell. I didn't see all regions go down, but um, the uh, as long as they're the idea isn't that they're going to start breaking up application services. Oh God, and class. running parts in each. Yeah, that's which dumb. Is what most people try and do, or that just gives you more points do, of failure. Which is insane. Yeah, uh, I, I, so yeah, I don't think they're going to do that, but disagree. that's. You know, neither here nor there. We don't need to go into detail here. No, we don't. Ten hours. <laughs> um, I, I've, I've got a full day of work talking about this. I'm sure. So, uh, 
nonetheless, uh, I still think it still annoys me that we delayed it for for two years. I hope they make good decisions. Uh, government, give me a call uh, if you need some. <laughs> if you need yeah. help with that ten billion dollar contract, we're here for you. We we are consulting available. Call VMware and SHI. I mean, we'll work together. We'll make just it work. Call the Tech Breakfast Podcast. That's right. Get you call covered. Te- we'll be fine. That's right, Dell too. We'll just we'll all come together and make it work. Uh, anything else that we want to we want to point out before we I want to I want to end on one positive note I hope it's uh wrought with potential peril though um apparently <laughs> president biden here in the united states is uh is is making some kind of decree i forget the word they used but basically he's telling lawmakers to go back and revisit the right to repair and he specifically wants to see language related to cell phones in that uh in that legal I guess, document or the, the Good. beginning of the bill. Get on, um, Biden. There's also a lot of stuff, of course, about like um, uh, farm equipment and stuff like that. I, I know that uh, what is John Deere is under constant fire because their their tractors and farm equipment have become so technologically advanced mm-hmm. that they have basically locked them down. They are like the DRM equivalent of a of a you know dirt slinger, sure. and uh, and they don't they don't want anyone to mess with it. And I found it very interesting because there's a short article that said it. I'm pumped that that they're even saying like language must be in there. Like I want to see this change. That's good. Uh, this could fall apart because it's the United States and its politics. But um, it was interesting to see basically the arguments against right to repair. And I see these come up every once in a while. Every time I do, it just bristles my skin. <laughs> it, the cell phones. It's like if if people install their own batteries, all their all their houses are going to burn down and babies are going to die everywhere. It's like literally, it's they're just going to explode if if oh, people no. get to install their own batteries. Every phone's going to explode. So this is for their own safety that we don't allow it to be repaired. And then John Deere, like their argument is, if if you let people repair their tractors, then they they could circumvent some of the environmental stuff that we put in place, right? Which I'm sure is like amount of uh, weed killer, for instance, chemicals used in in a, in a particular amount of space, stuff like that. And I have no doubt that they have lots of uh, rules there. What's curious to me about that is that what what right does John Deere have to tell me whether what I can and can't do. Like there's a law for that. And there's an entire arm of the the well, government and, and all of its fingers that yeah. is there to enforce that. Like, I don't want John Deere to be an enforcer. I don't own anything, John Deere. This is not personal. I'm just, I'm mad that they'd even make the assumption that it's okay for them to police my behavior with a vehicle I bought from them. Well, I mean, all that says to me is, is that you're willing to have everyone die in explosions from replacing batteries and phones. Just the babies. I, just That's just awful. Just I know babies. it's all ridiculous, <laughs> but I hope, I hope we make it work. So Biden, go get them. Tell get them. Spend all your get political em. capital on right to repair. That's right. And dang, we had a lot of stuff in our notes today, but that's it. We're bringing it down. Thank you for joining us. That's the end of today's Tech Breakfast podcast. We had a blast. We hope you did too. Thanks for sharing time with us. Thanks for sharing this with your friends. And thanks for your support. We'll talk to you on Friday. Cheers. Later.